Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to lead your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and today we've got a wonderful guest joining us. We've got Bill Pressbridge, who not only was he a member of one of the Divine Renovation Network parishes, but he's been raised up as a coach and continues to do amazing work as, as both a leader and a man of God. So I'm looking forward to talk to him. But before that, Ron Huntley, Director mm. of Coaching and Development Divine Renovation, uh, why don't fill me in. What's going on in your life these days? One of the things that's been on my heart the last little bit, I have a good friend of mine in the hospital right now. Mm. His name is John B. Uh, and my heart, you know, it's, it's hard to see your friend suffering, right? Your heart, and yeah, so, uh, and he's got a great story of, of transformation through St. Benedict Parish. Our friendship developed through Alpha, and uh, he's going to be moving soon to Toronto to continue his treatment. And so that weighs a little bit heavy on my heart. Uh, and so my heart's with him today. And yeah, jo Johnny B has been such an incredible blessing to us over the years. He, at our very first Alpha, he, you know, he was having issues and his family uh, recommended to him that he, he needed this, he should go on it. But the family were, were pretty, by their own admission, lukewarm in their, in their faith. And, and John went on Alpha and had a, a, quite a powerful conversion and an experience of healing that so intrigued his family that eventually his daughter, his son-in-law, and even his grandkids got involved and, and had powerful conversions. This is the uh, same family that was up at, uh, that we invited up on stage at the last Divine Renovation 2016 conference in Halifax, right? That's right. Well, Gemma uh, came up, her, her parents weren't able to be there. But Johnny was up too. Jo Johnny was there, yeah. yeah. And Johnny, the other thing about Johnny, he's got such a beautiful servant's heart. I mean, he was... He's he's a great baker. He's always making cakes and <laughs> and uh, and just a servant, just serving, serving, serving quietly, humbly behind the scenes. He's uh, he's touched so many hearts, and he's really been such an integral part of Saint Benedict Parish. And yeah, it's what's so be cool is like Saint Benedict little... Parish. We, we we end up creating the community around. So I got to know Johnny B because he's in my connect group, mm -hmm. and my kids got to know him. So I've got three three boys, right? So an eight year old, a five year old, and a, a three year old. And when Johnny B ended up in the hospital, our boys we we let them know and. Uh, Anyways, they're like, well, we'd like to go visit him. Of course, we're going to go visit him. Let's go visit him. And, and well, we, what we have great memories of is Johnny B has been really gracious and generous. And he's baked things for the kids. Like he brings them like, right. you know, like um, Rice Krispie squares. And he does like peanut butter all over. <laughs> anyway, so my kids, the, no, this is a true story, right? Like, so this is just last week. Um, my kids were like, well, we're going to go visit, but we should bring him something, right? And so this is my, like my five and my eight-year-old. And so I'm like, yeah, let's bring them something. My five-year-old owns an easy bake oven. And so uh, so, so we actually, we, we busted out the easy bake oven it hasn't been used in probably about a year and we made uh, a batch of brownies now I, I had it took us almost an hour to make the brownies because easy bake ovens are not quickly bake oven yeah, yeah exactly it took forever and it ended up with like these three little like little brownie things like it was it was like the so small the serving was so tiny but the kids were so excited to bring them to Johnny B but what I love about it is like we end up with community like that yeah. I got to know Johnny B because of St. Benedict Parish and what a blessing it is to both have those kinds of relationships and to have people like Johnny B in, in our lives well and I'll tell you, I know there's so many people whose lives have been changed by Johnny B because he is a servant. He is a servant servant. Like I've never met anyone so generous and caring and thoughtful and yet courageous when it comes to gently and quietly and appropriately inviting people to come and check out Alpha or to come and check out the men's leadership gym. He has been uh, just a wonderful witness to the very thing that we're trying to do at St. Benedict Parish. And so, yeah, so he's on my heart. Mm. He, he heads off uh, tomorrow for, 
or Toronto, or I guess Saturday, because this will come out on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Father James? It's, it's good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm well. I've been, this is the last week of a, of a long stretch of, of me not being traveling. I've been at home for like <laughs> nine weeks. I think it's a new record. <laughs> last week. <laughs> next week, I'm off to Vancouver, and the week after, I'm going to be in Dallas, and the week after is our priest retreat, which I'm really looking forward to. And then a week after that, we're going to be in London for the for the leadership conference and for the Divine Renovation Day. Uh, so busyness coming up. But this past week, I, I had the, the opportunity to to visit uh, one of our parishes in the diocese. So it was kind of like a combo of my work for the for the diocese. I mean, one of the Divine Renovation Network. Well, parishes. yeah, yeah. So it was a combination of my responsibilities with the diocese and also Divine Renovation because this parish is also a member of the network. So I, I went out and spent a morning, a full morning with their their newly formed pastoral council. And, and it, How was that? How did it go? It was fantastic. Well, at least I think it was. <laughs> um, an incredible group of people. Like right. just, that's where I get, I get such incredible hope. You know, no matter how... M- difficult the situation is and how many of the challenges are if you've got a good pastor who's got who's willing to lead who's you know relying on the holy spirit and who's got a passion burning in his heart regardless of his strengths and all of this if he brings a good group of people around him things are going to happen and that's what's beginning to happen there he brought together a fantastic group of people and i was just very humbled to be amongst them. And, and I know that great things are going to happen there. And under his leadership, just in the last eight months, there's been significant changes. Um, and he knows that he's going to need a good team. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the things that we explored was the, the relationship between a senior leadership team and a pastoral council, because he's been operating for eight months with a senior leadership team, but didn't have a pastoral council. In fact, uh, you, you mentioned Bill is going to be we're going to be speaking to Bill soon. Bill is actually the coach for this for this parish. Oh, very cool. And one of the things that Bill and I both flagged for this parish was was to say to the pastor, you need to broaden your your, your leadership base because it had been nine years this parish had not had a pastoral council. You're kidding. Yeah, so that's not so good, you know? Because they didn't have a senior leadership team for they those didn't. nine years. No, they didn't. Right, so so they again, but, but again, this is often the model of leadership pastors are leading out of. They're, they're by themselves or they're consulting one other person. They're making decisions. I mean, right. we found out this week about a, a parish where, you know, pastors had been unilaterally making decisions that were disengaging and really hurting members of his parish. Again, great people. And so the, the idea of a senior leadership team is 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 to do what a pastoral council can't do. What's that? Deal with the tactical issues that are going to come up on a week-to-week basis when implementing a strategy. But also a a senior leadership team needs a pastoral council. Why? Because it's very easy to get stuck in the weeds. It's very easy to, you know, because you eat and drink this stuff morning, night, afternoon, especially if your senior leadership team is primarily staff, to lose touch with the bigger picture. And so there's a healthy tension there. And so what they did is their four-member senior leadership team is joining with uh, this these six new individuals who are, who, are, who are on the pastoral council, but together they're the pastoral council. And one thing that impressed me is, is how they built the, the, the pastoral council. They started with a broad discernment process and uh, they put out a big invitation for people to submit names to all the parishioners, but you had to have either done Alpha or be prepared to do Alpha, and you had to have read a certain book by a certain <laughs> priest, uh, which is simply to say that it was a way to try to ensure that people would be on board with the vision. Right. right. 
And that's a very important starting place. And from there, they got, I think they had something like 21 people came forward or were awesome. nominated. And they gathered them together for initial gathering and spoke about the purpose of pastoral council because they explained that they're going to be moving away from a, a management model or representative model. This is going to be discerning and forming long-term strategy and, and, and such. And then they went up to the chapel and prayed before the Blessed Sacrament. And they asked for guidance and discernment. And they got from 21, I think, down to about 14 for the next meeting. And basically, people decided that they weren't being called or they opted out of it. And and they brought it down to a smaller group of numbers. And then they, they basically looked at, at strengths and said, okay, what would what would bring balance? So it was a it was a really really what cool a thorough process. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? That's really. And cool. Eileen was involved in helping them as well because that's the kind of process we use at St. Benedict Parish our, as well. Yeah, so Eileen's one of our co- our, our coaches as well, the former uh, chair of the. And she's going to be leading a, a breakout session at DR eighteen with you about leading out of teams. Isn't that, she? That's right. So yeah, it was it was a gr- it was a great experience. But again, I come back to the that important principle that if you've got a pastor who's willing to lead and is open to leading uh, in a shared way and you get great people around you, I think great things are going to happen. That, that was that was great. Isn't that fun? That's <laughs> a blast. One of the other things I was doing this week, and actually it was with Dan, we had an opportunity, and it was my first time because I know you guys have been connecting with the Archdiocese of Chicago, and so that was my first time getting to meet some of those people. I've been hearing the names, and, and I know what's happening, but uh, to be on the video call with them... The energy, the enthusiasm, the innovation, the courage they have. It was so I was so jacked up when we got off the call with them. So excited. Their willingness to innovate and try new things. Their their willingness to be honest with what's working and what's not working. My gosh, I'm so excited. We should add some context to it because yeah, a lot of people don't know what's what, what the Archdiocese of Chicago is endeavoring to do. It's not unlike um, what, what we're doing here in, in our Archdiocese in Halifax, Yarmouth. I mean, Chicago on, on a scale is so much larger as an archdiocese. They're, they're very large. But they're really, I mean, they're cardinal. And from what we understand from from all the leaders that we've spoken to there, and it's an amazing group of people, uh, what, what mm-hmm. we understand from them is that they're, that they're really moving towards a model of renewal. Like, yeah, as they go through restructuring, their intention is to to renew and to revive their church, right? And it's it's really it's incredible to hear their stories already. Yeah, they're not doing one or the other; they're doing one and the other because yeah, so many dioceses are being forced to look at their resources, and so and that takes a lot of emotional energy to do that right, to do it well, to think about it pastorally and everything else. And so, people are well justified just to do that. Because it's understandable. It takes all your energy. However, we need to do one and the other. So how do we rebuild our church while we restructure our church so that, as I've heard you say, Father James, so that we can go on the attack again, yeah. so, so that we can go on the offensive. But it's the same principle as, as within a parish. You know, that I, yeah. In Divine Renovation, I tell the story of when I first went to St. Benedict Parish and I asked the question, you know, what's to stop the decline that necessitated the amalgamation and closure of these three churches from continuing to to work on us if we simply come into this new structure, this new building, and continue to do everything exactly the same? The answer is nothing, 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 <laughs> nothing. And that's true at the parish level. It's true at the diocesan level. And there are sadly many examples of diocesan restructuring where 15 years later, they're, they're, re, re, they're downsizing again and again because all they did is change the structure. They changed the hardware without changing the software. Mm. And and changing the hardware is necessary if we're going to utilize 
and maximize the use of our resources, but you got to change the software as well. And that's this is what I love about what's happening in Chicago, right? Chicago is showing or they're demonstrating that the, like, to me, they really are a bit of a beacon. It's like, look, mm. you know, at a diocesan level, we can do things. And I think there's, they're not the only diocese we've talked to, but no. in, in many respects, they're, they're further down the road in terms of embracing sort of the, the, the culture that, that we speak of. And they're embracing it at the very highest levels. And I, I think that's what gets me so jacked when I start talking to those guys. I, I've been really... You know, because when we first heard from them and we wanted to meet them and, and I, I did have a chance to meet some, some of their leadership and I had two questions. Number one, are you guys for real? Number, <laughs> number two, are you are you crazy enough to do this? And I was like, yeah, I think they're for real. And yeah, they're kind of crazy. They're sufficiently crazy to, to do this. And by crazy, I mean willing, willing to risk. Because let's face it, anytime you do something new, there's risk. Because we're unsure, we don't have absolute certainty that it, you know is everything going to work out perfectly. Are we are we going to avoid making mistakes? Of course not. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have to learn as we as we go along. And our church generally is so risk adverse that we mm-hmm. that we paralyze ourselves. But but we know we have to move. I mean, and the, ultimately we risk far more if we stay where we are than if we move. And so there's that element of 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 godly craziness that that, <laughs> that willingness to 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 adventure that, that that is there but i remember the last call i was in on with them it was funny we were they were asking us some questions and they were very uh kind of hesitant they were saying well, what do you think if and what they were proposing to us we were like are you kidding that's fantastic like, like, <laughs> you don't, don't need to be tenuous about this yeah. we think this is this is great yeah it's you know i was also this week I had a couple of cohorts with pastors in the coaching network and there's a priest in our in our <laughs> in one of our cohorts and these are the I, I do once a month with with just the pastors and it's a good time for the for, for the priest to get together and to share with one another our joys and struggles of leadership in you know leading attempting to lead renewal. One of our pastors, he's 70, 72, 73. 70. I'm saying 71. I don't know. 71. Yeah, forgive, forgive me if I get it wrong. <laughs> but he's just such an amazing guy with amazing passion. And, you know, we think about that. He's got literally a couple of years left uh, and he's given it all. And he said to me on Tuesday night, I'm having the time in my life. These are the, that my priesthood is more alive than it's ever been. And he said, I wish I had discovered this stuff when I was 40. Isn't that amazing? I wish I wish I had discovered this when I was forty. It just he's feels so alive and actually seeing things moving. So that's stuff like that makes it all worth it, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure <laughs> does. It sure does. Because I, you know, part of my hope and dream is, and I've always struggled with this as a layperson who loves the church, is how do I support the priest? I, I've never really known how, and I think in many ways priests don't know how to be supported. That's and right. this new model of leadership and parish renewal is giving a context to which people can get from here to there. Because to be honest with you, it has been a struggle of mine for years. How do we create a form of leadership where the weight of priesthood, the the weight that's not healthy, there's there's a healthy weight of responsibility and then there's an unhealthy weight of responsibility. How do we remove that from anyone? but specifically the priests, so that together we can do something amazing, because God is calling us to be amazing. <laughs> so, Father James, it's it's a time of year where I actually I'm, I'm very much looking forward to something. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to Pentecost. And you know why I'm looking forward to Pentecost? Because you started something a, a few years back at St. Benedict Parish when you were pastor. And I, I'm sure Father Simon Lobo, uh, the pastor there now, I'm sure he's going to do it again. But 
this is this is this is a monumental time of year for that community. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did at Pentecost and what you do at Pentecost? Well, actually, it was I blame Ron Huntley for it because <laughs> you know we were seeing a lot of fruit of changed lives and people coming. You know, some of them we celebrated when who were baptized or confirmed, but many of the sacramental moments for those who were ready to come to the sacraments were was were happened in the sacrament of reconciliation, which is kind of more private. So Ron asked the question. How can we celebrate, if culture is shaped by what you celebrate, how do we celebrate changed lives? Not just um, behind closed doors or within a small group, but how do we do it publicly? And so, Ron, it was your idea. You said, what about if we had some kind of invitation on Pentecost for people to come forward who had, in a sense, become disciples of, 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 of Christ in the past 12 months? And what if we counted it? And what if we started doing this? on a go-forward basis. So we did it for the first time almost three years ago, and we did, I remember, we, <laughs> it was crazy, but I was terrified. Because the first weekend mass was the four o'clock mass, Saturday, four o'clock, that has kind of the highest percentage of the loyal opposition uh, in in a, in attendance. You know, it's typical kind of Saturday, With four o'clock mass. With lots of people that are on, fully on board too. lots of people are fully on board too. Lots of people, Yes, yeah. for sure. But um, maybe those who are a bit less enthusiastic about everything we were doing. So it came to, you know, the homily, we talked about this and we pitched it. We said, if anyone can say in the last 12 months, Jesus Christ has transformed my life. Like, so you've come to know Jesus really for the first time. You've had conversion. And there's a lot of different words you could use to describe this. Would you, I'm going to invite you to come to the forwards because to the front, because we want to pray a blessing over you. We wanted to use nice, safe sounding Catholic language to go to an invitation that doesn't sound so safe, you know, get up out of your pews and get, come to the front. So I was nervous about, you know, the four o'clock mass. I knew there would be like no problem at the 9 a.m. or the yeah, other yeah. Sunday morning masses, but four o'clock. And we stood there and there was like silence. You know, five seconds went by, 10 seconds went by. I'm starting to break out in a sweat. <laughs> and at about 14 second mark, someone started kind of laughing. Snickering like. Sn- snickering, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And then this young man got out of the pew and started coming forward. And then this little old lady got out of the pew and started coming forward. At that mass, 14 people came forward, 14 people to say in the last 12 months, Jesus Christ has transformed their life. And there was a gasp. There was an audible gasp. And then we said, over the last um, five five years. years, if you can say this, please come forward. And about another, I think it was a total of like 40 people. 30, 40 people came forward and, and you could tell people were looking around, they were shocked. And that was a Saturday mass. And I think that over the entire weekend, it was 118 people at all the masses said that their lives had been transformed in the last 12 months and something like 340 people in the last five years. And we didn't announce we were going to do this. So we knew there was all kinds of people that maybe were away or whatever. But, yeah. So we decided, let's let's do it again. And we did it again last year with similar results. it was results. equally terrifying, wasn't it? It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying every time. And I, I think that doing it at Pentecost is very significant because the, I, would, I would make a case that the... The, the fullness of the Christian mystery is only complete at Pentecost. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, we talk about the Paschal mystery being, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but, you know, we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost, but really the work of, the work of God to get the church set up and moving only is fulfilled at Pentecost. So at Pentecost, we celebrate the birth of the church, and the church has to be reborn in every generation. Amen. The church has only ever been but one generation away from extinction. Let me say that again. The church has only ever been 
but one generation away from extinction, if it's not reborn in every generation, uh, it will cease to exist. And certainly we are reborn sacramentally in the power of the Holy Spirit through baptism, but we know that that's not enough because the grace of baptism is 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 often not never actualized in people's lives because the vast majority of baptized walk away. We've got to make disciples. It's not enough to baptize. So uh, that's what we have to do. And and it was a challenge for us. It remains a challenge. And we we were thinking, well, what is it? What would it look like if we were to offer invite or to challenge churches who are who have been inspired or equipped by us to to think about doing the same? So yeah, that's what you and the coaching team are doing, right, Ron? Are you you speaking into it with? Our parishes? We're going to be speaking into it with our parishes. We have spoken into it with our parishes, but you know, I hope it's a lot broader than that. So yeah, we're doing it in the network, but I hope people, uh, you know, pastors all across the world who are hearing this will go, you know what? I'm willing to take that challenge. And if you're crazy enough to do it, send us your results. Even if it's two people, even if it's no people. To have Um, the courage to ask is amazing. And we would love to celebrate with you the results that come out of that. Because what it's saying, even if no one came up, what it's saying is we're actually going to start measuring that because it's really important. Because what those people that come up, they have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends. And don't we all long to bring our friends and family and coworkers into a relationship with Christ in a way that makes their entire life better? We all long for that. But I don't think as a, as a church we've been very good at it. Yeah. But let's start getting good at it. And when you start measuring it and letting people know that this is really important to me, this is, as a pastor, this is really important to us, and I'm going to do a better job as a pastor making sure that collectively this number rises. Like That just gives people a sense of hope, a sense of mission, and a sense of purpose versus just continuing to do the same old, same old while we watch numbers continue to decrease and people disengage. Like, and the importance of, of truly celebrating it as well. Yes. Uh, again, culture is shaped by what you celebrate to start doing it and communicating that this is of highest value to, to us. And and to count, uh, not not we don't openly count, but we yeah, appointed someone at every single, <laughs> every single uh, mass to, to do a head count. Uh, mm. to, to make sure that we got those numbers down and and yeah we how exciting is it for for, for parishioners right to see yes. to see all this 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 change this change in their community I mean like a lot of our parishioners for instance would serve on alpha or have served on alpha and and a lot of the fruit that we're seeing the people who are stepping forward they've had experiences on alpha and so it's it's such a beautiful beautiful and really really visible way of seeing that conversion seeing how the culture continues to grow and expand and change and we often see the people that sat at our tables right so it's like true. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well think about it too because here's what else we're celebrating because you know people in the pews i want to celebrate them too and when these people come forward the goal is hey guys this these people here, this is the fruit of your faithfulness. This is the fruit of your prayer. This the is the of fruit giving. of your giving. This yep. is the fruit of your invitation. This is what fruit looks like, and this is because of you. So it's also an opportunity to celebrate the faithfulness of the people in the congregation and saying, keep fighting the good fight because we are winning the day. We're winning souls for and Christ. If you think about it, it's no small thing for church-going Catholics to get out of a pew and walk to the front of a church and to say, Jesus Christ has transformed my life in the last 12 months, that that's a big deal. And so if you're willing to do that, I think that something significant has happened in your life. Um, I know that people might um, hear it, and, you know, 
interpret. You can never absolutely control how people hear a thing. But to, you know, we talked a little bit about the wording. You know, we learned a bit from it's the tricky. first time because yeah. we, we saw some people get up. That I said, "Come on, we we know that you had a conversion five years ago. What are you doing? Well, you know, I, I was renewed. No, that's not what we're talking about. I had a good about. Bible study and I learned about the Eucharist. So, now so, I love the Eucharist. So in the lead up good. to the invitation, because you got to base it out of your homily. So you're you're yes. preaching this this whole message about the need for the church to be re- reborn, the the call to make disciples. That you know, we're not talking about you know you had a conversion five years ago and you were renewed. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who in the last 12 months have encountered the Lord in a life-changing way and have made a, a decision in some way to be his disciple. And we, we we brought them up and we prayed over them. But another thing we changed this past year, That's cool. and it was, I didn't really mean to or plan to do, I think there was kind of momentary inspiration. We paused and, and said, look, maybe there are people here today who whose hearts are jumping at this and you feel the call to 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 surrender your life to 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 Jesus in a new way and and you haven't yet made that made that decision we would like to give you an opportunity right now if you would like to publicly make a a a commitment of your life to Christ to come forward and a significant number of people at every mass uh, came forward in addition to those. So and I think that came out of that. Father Simon was continuing to, in our senior leadership teams as we were talking mm. about this stuff and seasoning it. I think that came from his idea. And, and I don't know that it happened, but one of the things that he talked about is, and and to get the people that came up the first time to turn and they lay hands and pray over the people that came up. Like, wouldn't that yeah. be cool? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, we did that too. Yeah, so exciting. Oh, this is what I love about you guys. You guys are crazy enough to do stuff that just shouldn't happen in a Catholic church, and all of a sudden it well, works. Funny things, people people use the term altar call, and it, that might have all kinds of red flags for people. The funny thing is that we are the original altar call people. I mean, <laughs> I mean most churches that do altars don't have an altar. We get an altar. <laughs> and not only that, the Eucharist is an altar. Is it, the well, yes, that re- coming forward to receive Holy Communion is the original altar call. That that that's what it is. Jesus gives Himself completely to us, and our response is to we we give ourselves completely to Him. But because we do it all the time, it, in many ways, it's become it's, it's lost that power. So we avoid. You want to avoid any language that can possibly potentially be an obstacle for people. So we we don't call it an altar call. We call it come forward for a blessing. That's good, safe Catholic language. Oh, absolutely, and, and language uh, matters. Yeah. All right, guys, well, I'd like to, to take a quick pause, and I'm excited to get Bill Presbridge to join us. So we'll take a pause, and we'll come right back with Bill. Have you ever read books or listened to talks on parish renewal and leadership and thought, that's good for them, <laughs> but how would that ever happen in my parish? And do these people even know what it's like to be in a parish? How do you bridge the gap between the theory and real-life parish? The Divine Renovation Association exists for all those reasons. It's created for and by people who have lived it and are living it right now in real-life parishes. I believe that every parish has the potential to impact the world around it. I believe that every leader has the capacity to be a better leader. I believe that every parish can be so much better and more exciting than it currently is. And we want to help with that, to help you and your team to move your parish from maintenance to mission. Bill, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Why don't you give us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about your parish and your role there. Uh, Sure. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, Christ the King is the parish, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, We're about a 30-year-old parish. Uh, We uh, have about 900 families, uh, about 1,400 people attend Mass on Sunday with us, one thing that's a little bit unique about us is we were formed out of the charismatic renewal. So when the Holy Spirit 
came in a new way in the church. Uh, some of the some of the people that were involved in the early days of the charismatic renewal in the 1960s landed in our landed in Ann Arbor, and from that community was formed uh, Christ the King Parish, and that still remains our uh, focus to this day. We're not actually not a territorial parish. We're actually formed uh, with with a particular type of spirituality, which is so for par- for people in our area that are drawn to the charismatic renewal, that's that's our primary uh, purpose for being. Um, but And we have lots of intentional disciples in our parish, uh, which is a really a wonderful thing. And and yet there's a need for more. And uh, so uh, we, we are also part of the Divine Renovation Network, and we've really benefited from the association with the network. Right on. So what was your decision? What made you guys decide? How did you recognize there was more required? And, 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 and what? why was Divine Renovation a possible solution worth exploring? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so try to make it relatively brief here. But So Cherry Waddell in her book, uh, uh, Intentional Disciples, Moving from Maintenance to Mission, uh, she actually uh, featured our parish as one of the chapters in the book. And she said that, in her experience, she had never encountered a parish that had so many intentional disciples in it. And that was in 2011. And she really chronicled you know, some of the reasons for why that was the case. And so having a personal relationship with Jesus is, has always been held up as uh, you know, primary and foremost in our parish. And our, current, our pastor is Father Ed Friedy. He's been there for coming up on 25 years. And he always preaches on that and models that for all of us. And so there's just a really high level of uh, people that have committed their lives to the Lord. And then also the experience of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that in, in, in many ways, in worship and how we pray, uh, prayer meetings, you know, different kinds of things that happen in our parish. So an awful lot of really good things in our parish. Another thing is the number of vocations. We have we've had something like thirty young men join the priesthood oh, as a wow. result of, yeah. of uh, That's crazy. growing up in our in our parish, which is amazing. A lot of religious sisters uh, and others. So and then uh, a lot of fruit around uh, 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 social ministries. So Hope Clinic and Renewal Ministries and you know, different kinds of things that have come from our parish. So just a really uh, in many ways a remarkable parish. Uh, but I was just reading that chapter in Sherry Waddell wrote about us. In, in, in that chapter, it actually says, but we're not perfect, you know. And I thought, you know, that's exactly right. We, we really started on a journey probably two or three years ago, and which would say, you know, th- th- look at all these great things that are happening. But as we reflected, um, there was a lot of frustrated people in our parish. So in other words, people would m- meet the Lord uh, you know, have some experience with the Holy Spirit and really be motivated to want to be more like the Lord or do do mission for the Lord, you know. And they would come to our, you know, pastor, some of our different leaders, and they would be encouraged. But their their ministries weren't, uh, they, 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 their ministries would start, they would start to do things, and then they wouldn't be like encouraged or supported in what they were doing. And then they would get frustrated. And we had that happen over and over and over again. And so at some point, people that have met the Lord, they really want to, you know, they really, it's for a purpose, for, you know, building the kingdom of God. And they were feeling very frustrated. And as a result of that, they would sort of pull back, you know. And so we had a number of people and families and all that that 
felt like they were part of something really good, but we were really frustrated at the same time. And we went to Amazing Parish Conference. We went to DR16, the Divine Renovation 16. Uh, we had a retreat as a parish council, you know, and just, you know, really tried to get at, you know, what what is it that, you know, what, what is it that we needed to pay more attention to? So that that was how we first came into encounter with uh, Divine Renovation. Mm. Interesting. Let me ask you, like, so I, I know what it feels like to be in a church where ministries are unsupported, and I'm just wondering, you know, what changes have you seen with Father Ed, and, and what kinds of changes has that brought about in your staff and how you guys are doing things? Because you've been in the network for about a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Well, it you know, the idea of leading out of a team for Father Ed was uh, completely foreign to his way of thinking. I remember I was sitting with him the first time that that came up as a possibility. Having a leadership team, a trusted group of people around him that he that could really have his back, that could support him, that would be, you know, that would you know help hold him accountable. But you know, recognizing that he was pastor, but that there would be a group of committed people around him that would really support him in his leadership, and that was a big deal. He. You know, he, just this blank look on his face. Yeah, blank look on his face. I said, Father Ed, how are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, nothing. Father Ed always says something. In that case, he was so stunned with this concept. He was actually for about two hours, he said nothing. And uh, and finally, he, he texted the bishop and he says, they're talking about a leadership team here. You know, what do you think about this? And God bless Bishop Boyer, Diocese of Lansing. He said, Father Ed, we're doing something just like that with the diocese. Go for it, you know. And that really helped Father Ed get over this idea of, you know, you know, just this kind of false sense that a pastor sort of has to do everything. You know, yeah. he has to be like, you know, have all the answers. You know, all that kind of stuff. So, being for him, forming a leadership team was a big deal. Senior leadership team. But as we've, you know, that happened about coming up in about two years ago. And now he leads out of this leadership team. And, you know, it's just had a really transformative effect on him, you know. Helped him, you know, uh, really dumb example. But, you know, for us guys that are married, you know, like we have wives, you know, that kind of tell us, you know, (laughs) give us like feedback, you know. Well, so, uh, let me ask you a question, Father James, because what's what's fascinating to me is like I've I've met Father Ed, um, and and I, I know him a little bit. But is it do all priests struggle with this Father Ed free, yeah. into into uh, into being a leader of a leading from a leadership team? Yes, I would say yes, um, because it, it it's not what has been modeled to us throughout our lives. It wasn't the model of leadership that was unconsciously communicated to us in seminary because there's really very little conscious model of leadership actually communicated. But what is unconsciously unconsciously communicated is the solo leader, uh, basically who might, you know, seek uh, opinion from time to time, but, but it's, it's, it's on your shoulders to make any, any decisions. And also I went into the seminary in the eighties and at the time there was a lot of, in the primary, uh, um, response to the Second Vatican Council tended to focus on liturgical issues and authority slash power issues and in this this idea that somehow to uh, affirm the laity was to be a threat to the the ordained or to affirm the value of, of holy orders and the role of the priest was to be anti-baptism and I think nothing could be further from what the Second Vatican Council was all, was all about but there was that that sense of of you you know the the, the identity of the priest especially by the by the 
the early 90s, there was there was kind of a swing in the other direction, reaffirming the value of priesthood and the identity of a priest. So there was a sense that, you know, the, the priest has really got to be in charge. And in charge means I make the decisions. And and that's that's not going to be very good. It's not going to be very pretty. Now, if we just had to lead in a maintenance church, oh, fair enough. I mean, most of us would do okay with that because we were taught how to maintain. But the point is, if you're going to go on mission, we were not trained for this, you're going to need help. You are going to need help. Mm-hmm. And I know that since I've been living this way in my own, own, own priestly ministry for quite a number of years, now I know that I slash we are making far better decisions than I ever used so to make true. all by myself. I can't tell you how often when I, when I really come to, the, whether it's the team at the parish or the new team that we have at Divine Re- Renovation, I know we're making better decisions because other team members will bring things to me that I didn't even think of. Right. I mean, you think I'd be a bit smarter after all these years. Well, <laughs> you didn't even think about it. You know, all of us so, are in the same boat. Yeah, Bill, you're on Father Ed Freedy's leadership team. Is that not right? Like, are, you're one, of, and I think you're even a volunteer. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Why, why don't you speak to that experience a little bit? So yeah, so we uh, decided to form a senior leadership team, and um, ideally. They're made up. The senior leadership team should be made up of staff. Um, that that is the ideal. You know, they're ultimately the ones that go out and you know help drive to make things happen. You know, to be able to communicate first with that group and then have that communication cascade out. So ideally, senior leadership teams are made up of staff. Uh, in our case, our staff at that point in time, this is like two years ago, we were going through a major transition with our staff. We had two people retiring. We had one person who was very ill. And uh, so we just didn't have that staff available. So uh, our initial staff was made up of uh, people like myself. You know, people, I was chair of parish council, involved with the church in different ways. You know, I came on. Our chair of our finance council, uh, one of our deacons, uh, et cetera. So, you know, people that were passionately interested in, in invested in the church and loved the Lord, uh and so with that, that's who we made it up with initially. And then as our staff transitioned, then we recruited people that would be able to be leaders of le- leaders of other leaders. And that really wasn't kind of the primary one of the focuses of our uh, uh, recruiting our staff prim- previously. And so as we've added new staff, then we've been able to add those those staff members after a little period, have them join our senior leadership team, and then have some of our Lay, stat, lay uh, leaders move off of our leadership team. So we're kind of going through a transition. It takes so much courage, and I love the willingness. Like, isn't that cool? Like, being on a senior leadership team isn't necessarily the like this promotion. It, it's a place of service, of using yeah. your gifts. And, the, and the, the disposition we're looking for out of staff and key leaders is are you willing to play whatever role necessary so the team can win? And so mm. if that means serving on the senior leadership team for a season and then being transitioned out so that a staff member, and to be able to embrace that change and celebrate it, you know, that takes a degree of humility. Mm. And, and I just love that, that you guys are willing to do that. Because there are other churches out there, lots of other churches. I know, Bill, you mentioned you have 1,400 people attending Mass on a weekend. There are lots of people, even with churches that size, that don't have pastoral staff. And so they will need to start with with volunteer senior leadership members. And mm-hmm. some churches have a mix. And yeah. so, but I think, I like what you said, Bill, it really is the ideal to have a robust, competent 
pastoral staff that can also be a part of your leadership. And, and Bill, I'm, I'm curious if I can ask a question here. You know, a year and a half into this this process of being, well, you've been in, intentional about this process for longer than a year and a half before you came to us, yes. but but what difference has it made in your parish? When you look at your parish today versus even two years ago, What what are, how would you sum up yeah. the key differences? Yeah, no, that's... That's a great point. Um, we, um, well, one of the things that we've, we've noticed back then was that we had become inward focused. And what that meant was, you know, we used to do a lot of evangelization and that really had, for a, from a large standpoint, stopped um, or had really greatly diminished, I would say. So we had sort of lost our outward focus on evangelism. Uh, we had a lot of people involved in the service, but meant much of it was outside of the parish. So our parish wasn't really intentionally involved with, you know, reaching out to the lost and the, the and the needy, both. Uh, and so we 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 started, you know, as part of this journey. And, and divine renovation was a really a huge part of that. Was well, how do we do that? You know, and I would say from an evangelization standpoint, the the way that we had thought about it previously was well, you just sort of know all the answers, you know? You, you learn a lot about theology, you're able to preach the gospel, you're able to sort of confront people. And we said, you know, that to reach people's hearts, that's that's what we weren't doing was reaching people's hearts. And so that we needed to do more like rela- relational evangelism, you know, like get to take the time to get to know our neighbors, our coworkers, just as friends, because they're worth knowing. And that's a major cultural shift for our parish. You know, we, we just... We just didn't do a lot of that sort of stuff with the idea that then we can, once you've got a relationship with somebody and you just value them, then you're much more able to invite them to something like Alpha. And so that that is something that we went through uh, a big way, and I would say in the last 12 months. So we started about trying to change the culture. So we Father Ed started speaking to it much more from, from a homily standpoint. And then we had some workshops and we had, you know, just started talking to it, valuing this idea of relational evangelism. And then we launched our first Alpha last September and we uh, encouraged the people in the pews to be able to invite their friends and neighbors. And, you know, in mo- usually the way Alpha starts is you start with the people in the pews. But we really encouraged not just that, but that people would be open to inviting others. And we had 275 guests for our first Alpha and about 100 of those were from our youth group. But of the remaining 175, we had 40% of those people were from outside of our parish. So people had taken on this, this you know, uh, heart for being concerned about others and did take the time to invite them. And it was a great experience. I mean, it was a little messy because it was our first Alpha. You know, each Alpha, you'll kind of learn from one to the next. But it was a, a great experience. And just the idea of, just being able to love people, not give them the answer necessarily right off the bat, but just value them, you know, want to hear what they have to say, and then encourage, you know, by our example, show how important and loved they were by the Lord Jesus, and then seeing their lives be transformed and changed. So it was a great experience, and it was directly a result of, you know, being part of uh, Divine Renovation. So that's one example. And, and there are lots of other ones as well, but that that's a really uh, very evident one. So. Bill, what I'd love to know, because your, your church, your parish, your community, I, I find them fascinating, and it's, it's, it's so exciting to hear all the things that have happened there. Uh, 
I'd, I'd be curious to know, Bill, like in terms of, of transferability and, and, and other parishes around you, do you find that there's other, is there, is there interest in your area? Is there interest in other parishes? Are you, are you helping to support others? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So um, that, that happens on a number of different levels. But, you know, one of them is, you know, people are hearing about us through Sherry Waddell's book, but also as part of the Divine Renovation Network and stuff in there. And they are saying, hey, we want to come and see what's going on with your parish. And so we're having to, we're having to uh, really devote some time and energy to being able to host people because we, we've had a number of people already come and visit and it looks like it's kind of like a wave. And so being able to, you know, figure out how to host people, you know, and, and have them visit with our staff, being able to experience like a leadership team meeting, some other kinds of things, because people are really interested, you know, on this journey, you know, how do you do this stuff? You know, they're, they're sort of getting the ideas and the light bulbs, but they don't really know the how, you know, or they're not really seeing it lived out in their own area. So, and then the other thing is then just locally, you know, people say, well, what are you guys doing? You know, we tell them and they say, oh, we need that, you know, and that, that that's happening with about six churches right now uh, in our diocese. And uh, and so we're really glad and being, you know, generous and sharing, you know, and as you share things like that, I mean, you realize that you have to live this stuff, right? So, I mean, it just kind of reinforces, you know, what we're trying to do already. Sounds a lot like what happened at St. Benedict Parish with all that interest. In well, those. It's funny, we, we, not that we generally um, encourage this because we're not able to do it, but uh, Father Red actually came to St. Benedict to visit. And we've had a connection with Renewal Ministries for quite a number of years. You know, uh, Peter Herbig and Sister Anne Shields had come and done parish missions with us and we've been very, very close with them. And I'm actually on the board of Renewal Ministries. So there was a natural connection. So we said, okay, Father Red, come on out. And I remember uh, he actually sat in on one of our leadership team meetings, which was one of the, if, if you talk the. about conflict, <laughs> it was one of the most conflictual team meetings we ever had. I remember at the end of it, after we finished, uh, Father Ed looked a little shell-shocked. And I think <laughs> I got to debrief with these guys and I, and I had to spend like an hour because uh, there was another priest there as well, kind of debriefing. Uh, but they saw, they saw real kind of healthy conflict. I would think it was it was quite healthy. Uh, but all, 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 often healthy conflict can be a concept. Uh, and even when it's done healthy, if you're, if you're not used to it, all you all you feel is the conflict. You know, no, it, it, it was, you know, healthy conflict doesn't mean you don't voice your disagreements. It doesn't mean you're not passionate about it and, and disagree strongly. Yeah, I mean, a healthy conflict is not, well, I disagree with you, but I'm not going to say anything. No, healthy conflicts mean you openly disagree. <laughs> but you do so in a spirit of trust and respect and love. And so what happened in the debrief? What what went on as well, you I, and those two pastors? <laughs> what kinds of things did you just talk about? I think they got it. I mean, the thing is that we're just not used to open disagreement uh, in, in, in church meetings because we're, we're supposed to be so nice. We're used to the fact if you disagree, it's after the meeting you talk about the person and how, how dumb their idea was. <laughs> And, and so it's just that again, what what we take almost for granted as normal uh, was, was so not normal. So I, I think it's pretty cool when I hear that you know he you know is doing that at his home parish, and now other parishes are coming to you guys to kind of sit in and observe those kinds of dynamics. And he's not alone because both of those pastors joined the network, and then both of them are also mentoring other people. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that yeah. beautiful? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Father Father Ed. Uh, when he came back from St. Benedict's after that, you know, his comment was, you know, a lot of people write about this stuff, 
but very few people actually live out what they what they profess, you know. And that really touched him. He's, he was a connect. He was at a connect group. He saw the leadership team worked and all of that. And and that's that is, you know, that really touched his heart, you know. And then you know we're you know to your point within our leadership team meetings, yeah, we have spirited debate, you know, mm. and we really. I love the expression, you know, senior leadership team meetings are we're, we're a place where good ideas come to die because we don't want to be so attached to our own ideas, but that we're willing to trust the process, the people on the team and the Lord that from our ideas, we can build on each other and through debate, be able to come up with the best ideas, really discern what the Lord wants. And, and that requires a lot of trust and a lot of con- healthy conflict. But when you can do that, you can achieve some amazing things. And we're, and we're seeing that. So, yeah. Well, another thing that struck me is, Bill, your story of Christ the King Parish. I mean, I, I believe, I think you told me in the past that your your kind of sense of purpose was to help committed Catholics go, go deeper. So, in a sense, if you think of the twofold call that's rooted in our baptism to mission and holiness— which is a call to every believer, but also a call to the church as a whole at the macro level down to the average parish. Uh, the, that call is is linked together, you know, to be yeah. mission, to be a missionary disciple. The discipleship is about our process of growing mm-hmm. in holiness, and and the missionary dimension of it, they they have to be together. And if these things become separated and disconnected, you you end up with imbalance. So, for instance, you had a parish that was incredibly committed to growing in holiness and was doing a pretty darn good job. But as, as you said, you had become inward focused. You you had lost your corporate That's missionary true. sense. Yeah. And That's right. and both are important. They have to be. They have to be kept yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they they're mutually supportive. I mean, if you're not mission missional focused, you're really um, you're really stunted in how much growth in holiness that you can do. So mm-hmm. the two things really work sort of hand in hand. And and yeah, it's so exciting to see then fruitfulness. You know, the the fruit. You know, the result of all of that is fruitfulness and results and being able to see the Lord do things, it really increases your faith. And, you know, it just, it's a, it's a really wonderful when those things work together. So. And the only way they're going to work together in a way that's, that, that's sustainable is if it's led well. And a lot, of, and the whole idea of leadership and understanding what leadership looks like, tastes like, smells like, when it's going well, when it's yep. not going well, most people don't understand what that looks like. And so if, mm-hmm. but we all know we're called to holiness and we all know what we should go and tell others, but what we don't know is how to lead. Mm-hmm. And and I think one of the benefits of divine renovation is helping people lead differently, giving them another model of leadership that will produce fruit in the form of changed lives and growing in holiness. And that's what we love yeah. to do. Yeah. Bill, it, is mm-hmm. such, it was such a blessing to be able to have you join us today. And thank you for all the work that you're doing mm-hmm. with parishes in the Divine Renovation Network at your parish at Christ the King. I think you're, you're a tremendous blessing. So thank you so very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> for those watching or listening, I encourage you to uh, to check out our website, divinerenovation.net. Our Divine Renovation Association, that's our video library where you can get more coaching from uh, recorded coaching sessions from Ron Huntley and others on the coaching team and Father James Mallon. Uh, we, we've launched that. We're thrilled already with the early response to it and hopefully you'll have a moment to to check that out on our website we have something uh, a little button called commit 
And what we're basically doing there is we're challenging you, whether you're a, a pastor, a priest, a, a religious, a, a lay person, we're, we're challenging you to, to take the step to commit to becoming missional. And so if, if I, would, I, would, I would urge you to go to the website, divinerenovation.net, click on that commit. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to count people around the world to see how many people we can get to, to actually take that one small step towards being missional and, and working within the, your parish to be missional. And so I encourage you to check out the website, divinerenovation.net. And if you find this podcast, or any of our podcasts of value, I ask you to, to leave us a review, whether you're watching it on iTunes or, or if you're catching us on Facebook or, or where all the other social channels. You, YouTube. YouTube. Uh, give us a share. Give us a review. We want to broaden the number of people that are able to, to access this if it's a value to you and if you think it'd be a value to others. So thank you so very much and God bless. God bless.